Support for today's episode of Script Apart comes from We Screenplay. If you've just completed a draft of a script and are wondering what next, well, you need to check out We Screenplay. We Screenplay not only offers amazing free resources, like virtual events where your questions are answered by Hollywood's leading professionals, with incredible 72-hour turnaround, format-specific feedback tailored to your specific goals, and a price that no one else can come close to, We Screenplay coverage is used by thousands of writers in every phase of their careers, from emerging writers still finding their voice all the way to Oscar winners. So if your script is all ready to go, check out one of We Screenplay's labs, where dozens of writers have been repped, optioned, and staffed as a direct result of the real-life industry meetings and hands-on workshops offered by We Screenplay. Don't stay stuck. We Screenplay want to help. Check out We Screenplay by visiting wescreenplay.com or clicking the link in today's show notes. Support for this episode also comes from our friends at Arc Studio Pro. Arc Studio is the screenwriting software used to create incredible shows and movies, such as the acclaimed Netflix animation Arcane. It has a ton of features designed to unlock your creativity on the page, whether you're a seasoned industry professional or a first-time writer discovering your voice. Arc is all about minimum distraction and maximum ease of collaboration. There's an outlining whiteboard for mapping out your story, automatic draft management for keeping those scripts safe, and it also offers real-time collaboration similar to Google Docs, making it the easiest way to run a professional writer's room or just to write that great idea for a script that you have with a friend. Try it today. Head to arcstudiopro.com forward slash script apart, where you can get $30 off a pro account by using the code friends at checkout. Click the link in today's show notes to take your screenwriting to the next level. Okay, hello everyone everywhere. My name is Al Horner and this is Script Apart, a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies. Each episode, a brilliant screenwriter revisits their first draft of what became a beloved movie. At least that's how we do things in this corner of the multiverse. Maybe in another, we're a gardening show or something. Who knows? Anyways, I can't tell you how excited I am for today's episode. It's really not often that you encounter a movie as staggeringly original as the one we're talking about today. Everything Everywhere All at Once is the latest release from writer-director duo The Daniels. This movie is surreal, it's hilarious, it's heartbreaking, it's aesthetically jaw-dropping, and it's full of the most mind-blowing action, occasionally involving characters with hot dogs for fingers. I did tell you it's original. The film follows Chinese-American laundromat owner Evelyn, played by Michelle Yeoh, whose business, marriage, and relationship with her daughter are all simultaneously crumbling. As if that wasn't enough chaos for her, one day she's thrown by the revelation that she's not the only Evelyn that exists. As it turns out, out there is an infinite array of other Evelyns occupying parallel universes. One's a movie star, another's a kung fu master, so on and so forth. What happens from that moment on is kind of too manic and complex to describe here. Just trust me when I say it is one of 2022's best movies by some distance, and honestly, one of the most joyously inventive sci-fis perhaps of all time. I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but go see this film and tell me I'm wrong, I dare you. The Daniels and I met up in person for this very special spoiler conversation. That's right, the first ever IRL script apart recording. We talked about the wildly different original opening that they had for the movie in their first script, and their plans for a narrator, quite possibly to be voiced by Susan Sarandon. 
We go pretty deep into the meaning of the everything bagel at the heart of this movie, we talk about the science that fed into the plot, and we also discuss how I ended up being moved to tears by a scene involving two rocks in the desert wearing stick-on googly eyes. I'll say it again in case you missed it, this is a spoiler conversation, we're going to talk about every single plot point, so if you're yet to see everything everywhere all at once, please hit pause now, get yourself to a cinema, it came out in the UK today, then come back as we delve into every detail of this incredible movie. A quick reminder before we dive in that if you like what we do and want to help us continue to grow, Script Apart is now on Patreon. Yes, for the price of a single monthly cup of coffee, you can get ad-free episodes, upcoming exclusive bonus content, and the chance to submit your questions for future guests. A huge thank you to those already supporting, a list that includes Rob Hollenby and Louis Adamu. If you'd like to get involved, simply head to patreon.com forward slash script apart. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get into it, shall we? This is the Daniels, aka Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, discussing the first draft secrets of everything, everywhere, all at once. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demek. The Daniels, welcome to Script Apart. This is actually the first ever in-person recording of a Script Apart episode. So really? Yeah, wow. whatever strand of the multiverse we're in right now that's afforded this, I'm glad to be in it with you guys. Wow, cool. thank you. We're so excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, I don't know if I totally have the words quite yet for how much I love this film. Huge congratulations on it, guys. Thank you. Um, there are certain movies that immediately after seeing for the first time, I'm really excited to see with a massive audience. Like I need to witness my friend's reaction to a variety of scenes, in particular, the hot dog hand sequence. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there particular scenes from the movie since it's been coming out that when you've been ducking your head into screenings, you've, you've kind of relished, and that's not a hot dog pun, you've relished seeing uh, people <laughs> respond to Did you say hot dog bun? Hot, hot dog, dog pun. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously all the fight scenes are so much fun with an audience, uh, especially cause, um, we kind of, we wanted to combine humor and, and action and make both of them shine at the same time. And so that has been really rewarding when you just see an audience spontaneously applaud after a fight sequence. It's like the most satisfying feeling, but or I'd when say you hear them scream, oh no, please, no, no, no. Please don't do that. Uh, when there's <laughs> trophies involved in that right. fight scene. <laughs> trophies or, or paper cuts. The whole the whole experience is 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 uh, really satisfying as, as a director. But then the the one that surprised us the most was probably the rock sequence, because that was one of the weird experiments that we selfishly wanted to make, but we didn't we didn't want to we didn't know if uh the audiences would be quite as um <laughs> excited about it at this yeah. indulgence weird sequence. We're like, oh, this might be a scene they laugh about later. Yeah. You know, like after it's over when they're like, man, there was that quiet scene with rocks. Uh, but no, it's it's so fun with an audience because it's quiet. It's just, you know, kind of like a PowerPoint presentation that the audience <laughs> reads together. And that you know, and, and and everyone's laughing at different times in the and laughing at each other. And and some people get very emotional in that scene. And so it's like, it's like such a fun kind of piece of performance art you know just being like how's everybody reacting in the room to this uh subtitled thing you know (laughs) but it's also i think a lot of people have been craving that silence and craving that like moment of of um reprieve from the chaos of of just regular life and especially after the first 
hour and a half of our movie. Yeah, our, yeah, our movie's trying to recreate that so that we can kind of carve out the space. And so you actually, you can feel the room just kind of connecting in a really weird, like, we, I don't want to get too woo-woo about it, but there's that energy that just feels very strange during that rock scene when you when you watch it with the right audience. Obviously, some audiences were like, what is this bullshit? This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. But for the, with the right audience, it is, um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, because I mean, like the pacing of the movie, it's it's such an assault on the senses. It's yeah. so bombastic. And then that moment comes and it's just this this little island of stillness. Yeah, it's the craziness. But um, we'll talk about that moment in, in more detail. But first, I wanted to ask guys, like we're in a bit of a moment of like, uh, you know, multiverse stories at the minute. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm seeing a certain new Marvel movie tonight after this. Um, the term itself feels new, but, you know, we've been fascinated by the butterfly effect kind of lives that we could have led for decades as storytellers, right? Like, It's a Wonderful Life is in a way kind of a multiverse movie. Totally, yeah, Um, one of the first maybe, yeah. yeah. (laughs) What do you think it is that's so intrinsically human about like these types of stories that we keep coming back to? Like, why do we love to sort of contemplate the the ways that things could have panned out, but for the, the flap of a butterfly wing? The first thing that comes to mind is the disconnect between the fact that we have these infinite imaginations as, as humans, our brains are just built to constantly be calculating and processing different narratives in our heads. Um, and yet we are trapped in these very limited bodies and how frustrating that is as a, as a, as a living person who has to move around in a, in one physical space, knowing that this is all we get, you know, how scary like it is to be, uh, trapped in this one moment, in this one existence, knowing that your imagination and your brain wants to be going every in every other direction. Um, and I think that tension is probably something that has frustrated us, you know, ever since we, you know, first... Since our brains, you yeah. know, became the way they are. Exactly. Um, and, and so, like... Capable of believing in made-up stuff. Yeah. And, and I think the problem now is uh, that um, that tension has only... Um, accelerated because of the internet because now not only do we have our own imaginations to um, contend with we have the imaginations of everyone else on the internet and so we are seeing infinite stories happening all the time and you cannot help but just imagine oh what if I went that direction you know or what if you know because you look at you look up um, your friends on Facebook or Twitter from high school and you're like oh we all came from the same exact town and yet look at where we all ended up Um, especially you know it's not lost on us that we are uh, two filmmakers who, you know, we came from uh, middle class families, never, you know, we never thought we would ever be able to like actually succeed in the film industry. And yet here we are in London doing this conversation uh, with you about our movie that somehow has, you know, become fairly successful. And like how bizarre that is knowing that like when I was in high school, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I felt really lost and actually didn't think I was ever going to amount to anything. And so it, yeah, it, it's just the way our brains work and the internet has made it so much um, more palpable, palpable, like all the different lives we could have lived. And so I think people are really relating with... And if you make a bunch of different usernames, you can you yourself can live a bunch of lives. That's, you know? That is like, also true. Yeah. No one's found my secret Reddit, you know, right. where I'm an awful, <laughs> awful person. But uh, it's, it's actually really interesting you mentioned that. Like the film does actually feel like what it feels like to be online in 2022, like the juxtaposition of it all, like the way you have all these like colliding tones, narratives and aesthetics kind of spilling on top of each other. It does have the sort of frenetic feel of sort of, uh, you know, whizzing through a timeline and seeing the incongruity, I suppose, of like, you know, 
a meme of a dog wearing dentures next to something completely heartbreaking and yeah. sort of harrowing. Was that something then you tried to kind of instill into the movie or uh, yeah, how much was that, was the internet kind of playing on your minds as you, as you worked on this? I mean, hundred oh, percent. I, I think, I think the word, the way you put it is like perfect. Yeah. Incongruity. Like that's, that's what it felt like to be alive when we started writing this movie and we're like, can we use cinematic language? Can we use the, um, the tools of genre to uh, create that emotional tonal whiplash in a film? And can we actually make it, um, Rather than just making it unpleasant, can we actually make something meaningful out of that? Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> and yeah, I, th- and I think as we wrote it, we had this idea of a villain, Jobu Tupaki, and we were trying to kind of crack what's her um, problem and what's her voice and, and, and started to kind of reflect on millennials and Gen Z kids and, and what it's been like to grow up on the internet when your parents didn't and how that uh, generation gap is very specific. Like it's so weird to like uh, stumble across the stuff we stumbled across when we were kids and, and we didn't talk to our parents about it. And, and now we're adults and we have to be like, guess what, mom? I I went into, I went into the wrong chat rooms, (laughs) you know, I saw, (laughs) I saw saw everything. (laughs) And, and, and so that the internet informed so much of, kind of her character, that sense of humor and kind of those themes. And and we didn't have to point the camera at a phone, which was nice, you know, because we didn't want to. Uh, but we still got to kind of like explore how we're feeling. The, the idea of like a multiverse story or, or writing a meaningful multiverse narrative, I've heard you describe the idea of the multiverse as inherently anti-story. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could like unpack that term for me and like some of the the obstacles in writing a narrative that feels meaningful within a framework of this thing, the multiverse, that kind of proposes that we're all random iterations of infinite other versions of ourselves. That's, yeah. it, it seems like that's a tricky thing to kind of crack and, and make meaningful. Totally. Yeah. It, it is one of the things that makes the uh, the multiverse such a, a silly thing for all of us to be trying to work in as as uh, storytellers. Is It's the opportunity is great because there's just so many things you can do with it. But then the pitfalls are also um, really, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the kinds of things that, like, as we said, can destroy, um, they can destroy the narrative because, you know, your your audience probably already knows this, but like every screenplay is all about the decisions the characters make and what the uh, what those decisions tell you about the character. And over the course of a film, that's how you um, get to, be inside of the character's head is through the decisions. And uh, in the multiverse, the, one of the weird things that happens is you introduce this idea that every decision has um, a universe in which they go this way. And then at the same time, there's a universe in which they do the exact opposite thing. And so suddenly all decisions break down, which means narrative starts which means to the break movie down. is just a collection of random decisions in a sea of universes where all the other decisions also happened and there's not a right or wrong universe in any way uh, you're supposed to care about yeah. that character <laughs> which like yeah i mean it, it makes sense why people mostly use the multiverse to to explore an alternate dimension you know one possible you know whatever but then like the actual philosophy and physics and science you know is is exploring the idea generally of an infinite number of them and and filmmakers are understandably scared to like to open up that much, open the box all the way, <laughs> and 
and nice. very early on we were like but that's what interests me like that like i like i would re- when i read about the physics it like fascinates me how scary that is and and how hard to uh reconcile infinity you know it yeah, there, is there's this uh, sci-fi writer who mostly only works in um short short fiction but um ted chang i don't know if yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, his work is fascinating because you know he understands the science, he respects the science, and then he takes the simplest ideas and pushes it to its logical conclusion, which is often like really terrifying and 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 overwhelming. And um, when when you read something like that, you can't help but then look at all other sci-fi and be like, "This is for babies," you know? It's like <laughs> right. you, you, you held back. Um, and so after reading Ted Chase, even Arrival, which is yeah. based on one of his short stories, yeah, they had yeah. to really tone down parts of it uh, in order to make it cinematic. Right. And you read the short story, and the short story is about like uh, unchangeable time, and about like if you were a fourth dimensional being, like everything would be faded, nothing is changeable, you can't change anything, everything happens, you know. And then you watch the movie, and they they're like. Uh, we're gonna change. We're gonna make time a little changeable because otherwise, like <laughs> oh, our, our characters are just puppets, our characters learn yeah. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Can't change anything. Right. It's 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 not good. Again, it's not, not good a narrative. crowd pleaser. <laughs> she can't talk to the general of China and stop the bombs. But I, I do think that like to us that was that was what got us excited about making this movie was that challenge. impossible challenge of like pointing the camera at infinity and still creating meaning in in the middle of all of that. And mm-hmm. you know, this screenplay took us many years to write because we we just had to keep trying we had to we had to basically um mix some chemicals together see what the chemical reaction was and realize oh that wasn't right throw that in the trash let's try again with another set of chemicals and we just kept doing that over and over again there were a lot of page one rewrites because we we really wanted to see we wanted to see the limits of of um of a screenplay in some ways we just wanted to break every rule in a way to see uh what rules um we needed to hold on to to mm-hmm. maintain you know a, a good enjoyable film um and then also discovered the the, the rules and the, and the scaffolding that are often associated with a good screenplay that we didn't need for this film because we we were like oh you know what what if what yeah what if we just destroyed the three-act structure and and found a, a new way to look at this film um um in, 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 yeah, in a fun, exciting way, but there's was, was a lot of discovery because the the challenge of filming Infinity was just something that we did not, we were not, we were not film like pointing at Infinity, getting to that and getting to that existential place, and pulling the audience back. And right. like some drafts, would be like, oh, we didn't get as low as we want to get, yeah. or we didn't get back successfully, and kind of constantly trying to make those two, that low point and that high point. Right, earn earn them somehow. Um, but yeah, to finish my sentence, we were not good enough writers for that task, for that challenge. We were not up for the challenge mm. of doing that, and so we had to keep basically through the process of 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 repetition, become the filmmakers that could make that happen. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it feels like you know there is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, my interpretation was that there is a three act structure, and that you know for all this sort of experimentation elsewhere in the film, ultimately there's something quite linear about like it's a character evelyn who starts the film one way and goes through this journey that transforms her and makes her a more accepting person that kind of fixes her relationship with her daughter at the end and for sure there was a sort of 
uh, yeah, there was something traditional, a, a traditional backbone that you fell back on. Is that fair to say? What? Yeah. No, we dare you. We did something brand new. <laughs> we didn't read a single Robert McKee book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, you, you're you're completely right in that um, the the illusion was that there was no structure, um, but in fact, it, it was because there were so many different narratives that were kind of intersecting in a strange way where we would have um, the family drama had a, a more traditional three-act structure, but then that was constantly being interrupted by an action film that only had two acts and then had to take a break and then the fin- came back at the end. Um, and then, you know, of course, there you know, some things had almost like a five-act structure. Some things only came in, some narratives came in for one moment, for one scene, and, you know, that was a music yeah, video structure. Exactly. And and <laughs> I, I like to think of it as like a turducken. I don't know if you guys have those here. Don't you think so? You guys not, okay. It's a turducken. So, Who does have turduckens? I, I think it's have, just like an it, internet thing. No, it's American because because of um, Thanksgiving. So we have Thanksgiving. It's like a duck inside a turkey with... No, there's a chicken. In, oh. you, stuff, you stuff a chicken into a duck. And then you put the duck into a turkey. And then you roast <laughs> the whole thing. And it's called turducken. And this film was that. Where we took a, a, a family drama and then had it sidetracked by sci-fi and both of those things got stuffed into a romance that then um, got blended up into um, an internet YouTube rabbit hole and and then and then by the end somehow came back together into the family drama once more. And there's probably some little bits inside the chicken. I don't know what kind of meat would be the fourth thing, you know, like bacon d- bits, right? Bacon yeah. bits inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this metaphor is really working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just hung up on how Tadukin sounds like a band I would have seen open up at the old blue last. Oh, like, yeah. You know, maybe you guys could have done a music video. Um, so your first draft, um, originally the movie had a narrator, right? And and you envisioned this person maybe being perhaps Susan Sarandon or someone Susan Sarandon-like. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, you, you did your research. Uh, the way that we like to put it is like there's a, a narrator at the beginning of the film that it almost feels like the opening of Magnolia, mm-hmm. just trying to um, thematically and tonally prepare you for um, the exploration of infinity. That was like the goal. Um, Fade in, interior, apartment, dining room. I found the script earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Here we are in this moment at the beginning. And because most beginnings are also often endings, it would be wrong for me to not point out that we are also here at the ending. And then it goes on. It's very pretentious. (laughs) It's very pretentious. Um, And and part of that was because at the time we were writing this script, there were no other multiverse films. This was before Spider-Verse. This was before, I mean... Uh, yeah, before any Marvel introduction to um, to the multiverse. And so we felt like this would be a really fun way to bring people in. And then the twist would be uh, halfway through the movie, you'd realize that this was actually Michelle Yeoh's character from another universe in which she was adopted by Americans, brought over to the U.S. and wow. grew up with a with perfect English, sounds exactly like Susan Sarandon, <laughs> and is, has become a, a successful writer who is writing the the novel um, that uh, you are watching the, the movie adaptation of. Very complicated, a little too Charlie Kaufman. We ended up just lifting that whole um, through line because I think uh, I think that was a big reason why it was 240 pages. Just, there was way too much narration. It was way too much fun to write in that that voice. Um, and, and and you know I had um, be prior to writing that stuff, I had just you know revisited Douglas Adams and just you know his yeah. his narration is so playful and so smart and um, dumb at the same time. And so yeah, that was one of the, the the our first attempts was trying to to weave that in to see if we could use a narrator to help contain infinity and it ended up not being uh, that useful so yeah yeah because the narrator introduces 
W.T. Warren, a 20-something football helmet tester in oh, 1912 yeah. Pennsylvania. And his job involves putting on the helmets and running headfirst into a farmhouse wall. Uh, there's a quantum accident that causes him to pass completely through the wall during one test. He gets incredibly drunk, decides that God wants him to inspire people with miracles, and then is fatally stabbed while trying to impress a girl being a vigilante. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The um I, I mean, I can see why, like, well, my presumption when I was reading that was like, you guys must have thought we need to get to the Wang family quicker. Is that the case? Or I mean, yes. Yes, it, it was like, because like now when you watch the film, the opening shot is just a family portrait of yeah. them inside of a mirror. And uh, we realized, oh yeah, this film, after a couple drafts, we realized this film only survives the chaos if the family is always there, very present. The family narrative is always present. And I think that was something that is obvious, you know, like from a screenwriting perspective, like, duh, you've got to focus on the characters but again early on we were just trying to push and pull and stretch what the screenplay was just to see what 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 um what we could sustain what kind of um experiments we could we could um actually um uh, follow follow through on um and yeah the, that that was one of the ones where we failed and we're like you know what we just got to go back to the basics with um making sure that you always know uh, emotionally where our characters are a lot of times we'll like unapologetically label like scenes as like according to what movie we're ripping off and and so we were like oh yeah that's the magnolia intro like wt warren is the same as the guy who gets stabbed by beat up by the three guys who had the same name as him on the street that has his name in magnolia uh and then we also wrote a bunch of intros that were more like matrix intros that were just like fun science fiction you're thrown into it what on earth is happening scenes uh and and we had the same problem Dan's talking about of just like, oh, then when you come back to the Wong family, uh, you're kind of just waiting for the sci-fi to come back. And, it, and it's harder to invest in the intricacies of the family dynamic, which ultimately we realize like, no, that's the point. The whole movie is about their family. We need it. Right. I want the audience to care about them. Yeah, the original version of that sci-fi opening, um, Michelle's character, Evelyn, is a professor at a college teaching quantum physics. And again, this was because this was before a lot of multiverse stuff was happening. We were explaining uh, the multiverse to a room full of students and she's like drawing dots on the wall to demonstrate the double uh, slit experiment. uh, This experiment and then the kids start laughing and she looks and the dots have have drawn a penis. Uh, Yeah, Like statistically. Are you familiar with a double slit experiment? Like is that something that you think your audience will I, I'm personally not, but maybe okay. our listeners are way smarter yeah, than me. Yeah, uh, just a side note, and you guys can edit this out if it's whatever, but it basically uh, there's two... It's real science. Two slits in a in a, in a uh, material that they basically shoot photons through, light yeah. through, and then there is a um, photosensitive material on the other end that will receive um, the... Uh, the photons and based on how the photons go through the two slits you'll you'll see different patterns um and they found that when you just shoot light through photons through the double the two slits um it actually acts like a wave instead of a particle the photons actually go through both of the slits at the same time and there's a weird interference pattern where it's like a wavy um thing that doesn't make any sense that kind of hits the um the photosensitive material and what happens if you have a camera looking at it like once you add an observer to the that interaction suddenly the uh interference pattern goes away and the photons 
decide to go through one or the other and not both at the same time. And so it was like a conundrum in physics of just like, why on earth would observing this experiment change the experiment? Uh, and also like the act of not observe or the, the decision not to, to observe it basically is implying that the photon is in two places at the same time. And so, and like, and so like, anyways, it's a really silly thing that like, it's basically sparked all, all of quantum physics and all these ideas. And of, then of the theory universes. became that like, yeah. th- that it does exist in both places at the same time. And only by observing it, do we suddenly choose one universe, but like, it, we're actually like the photosensitive paper is recording, like the undulating waves that are our universe. And it's only once a human observes it, that like we're suddenly. So, anyways, long story short, in we, one universe, we, we, turn, we turned into a dick joke. So, so turned into she a draws, dick she draws joke, dicks then, all over the. And then she's like, "Oh no, she's here!" And then she talks to pe- like alpha people, and, and Jobu she, tell, comes she tells in her class and, to leave, and, and the, you know. the, the class runs away, and then Jobu uh, kills her and flies away on a pig. But then, but then the, the interesting, the just thing, like the Matrix, just like the Matrix. Yeah, <laughs> the, the thing I do like about it is after that, after she kills um, the professor. You just watch Jobu roam the streets of many universes. So you're just watching her move from universe to universe, and she's looking for something. And it kind of tees you into this idea that, like the, the movie eventually explores, which is um, the villain is just a daughter looking for her mother, looking for a version of her mother who understands her. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, I I really loved that. I originally, like kind of stealing from Paprika, the, that Satoshi Kon film, because the opening of that also has a woman who is just like moving between realities and it just it's so intriguing and you want to know who she is and how she can do this mm-hmm. um, but again ultimately you know it, it decentered the family and that was uh, we realized just the wrong decision yeah hey this is al just jumping in to tell you about two of our great sponsors this week breaking into hollywood as an aspiring writer can be a confusing convoluted thing fortunately screencraft is here to help writers with both the craft of writing and the business of hollywood Screencraft has everything for your writing journey, from video lectures starring your favorite writers to hands-on career coaching with their excellent writer development team. These guys offer the best screenwriting competitions designed to help your talent shine, featuring judges that really know their genre, from top literary reps to Oscar-winning screenwriters. Hundreds of past winners and finalists have started their careers with the direct support of Screencraft. Winners have been staffed on shows at Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV+, the list goes on. They've also sold scripts and been hired to write films for the likes of Universal, Lionsgate, Blumhouse and Hulu. So if you're an aspiring writer, what are you waiting for? Don't wait to check out ScreenCraft today. Visit ScreenCraft.org or click the link in today's show notes. Support for this episode also comes from Arc Studio Pro. Screenwriting to me is all about immersion. I want to stay immersed in that dreamy, fantasy-like state while I weave my story and craft my characters. I don't want to be distracted by anything, and I certainly don't want to be thinking about text formatting. Arc Studio Pro understands that. It's so intuitive, it has a minimal and dare I say beautiful interface that allows me to stay completely focused on the story I'm trying to tell. To take your screenwriting to the next level, visit arcstudiopro.com forward slash script apart, where you can either download a free version or get $30 off a pro account to unlock its full host of amazing features. Use the code FRIENDS at checkout to get that discount. That's arcstudiopro.com forward slash script apart. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So instead, the opening scene, instead of having the, the dick joke sequence, mm-hmm. instead you have this, this scene which really does like manage to establish so much and set up so much that's going to pay off later in the film. Like thematically and from a character standpoint, we have Evelyn and her husband, Waymond, 
preparing for an audit. We had the prospect of their imminent divorce. We have a birthday bash for Evelyn's father who had previously disowned Evelyn for marrying Waymond and moving to the US. And then there's the introduction of, of Joy in this scene that kind of like simmers with Evelyn's uh, hesitancy, I suppose, to, to sort of embrace her sexuality. And that erupts at the end with this kind of moment where she tells she tells Joy to lose weight in the car park. Somewhere in the mix, we've also got a sprinkling of mystery. We've got the CCTV footage of Waymond doing parkour around the laundrette. Um, how hard was it to kind of find an elegant way of barreling, barreling all that effectively into one scene? <sighs> it was, it's, it's, it's still a, it's debatable whether or not we pulled it off. It's, we did. <laughs> it's, it's good. <laughs> it's, still, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But it was, uh, there was, I remember, you know, we were, hitting our heads against the wall like W.T. Warren and uh, uh, and then Dan wrote a, a longer version of this whole intro and something just felt really exciting and right about it. This like, oh, let's let's make Evelyn's life overwhelming before there's any science fiction. Uh, so then the metaphor is just so clear and also like now we just understand the dynamics and it we didn't do crazy drastic rewrites from that. It was just an editing process and it, it was kind of like something just clicked there, but it wasn't like it was several drafts in. Yeah. So the characters were already pretty fully formed. Yeah, I do I do think part of it was just making sure that the audience knows this woman in her normal everyday life. You know, it, again, this is classic screenwriting. You gotta see them before the um inciting accident or incident so you know exactly classic. What yeah. Inciting accident. Yeah, it's, in our case, it's an accident. No, yeah, the inciting incident. Um, but I think one of the one of the interesting things was we wanted it to feel um, chaotic without any sci-fi, as you mentioned. But then also making sure that it felt like everyone was talking past each other. That everyone was already in the multiverse. Everyone was already in different universes. Everyone's in, in their own world. Um, even the um, you know, for those of you who don't speak Chinese, even the the grandfather Gong Gong, he he speaks Cantonese, while um, Wayman speaks Mandarin, and and then Joy, the daughter, can barely speak either. And so they're actually talking different languages. And so the whole thing just kind of feel felt like an opportunity for us to show the audience that we already exist in the multiverse before the multiverse even in, comes into play. Um, and basically, it, it's setting up the problem for our character, which is this idea that um, in a chaotic world that is constantly pulling your attention towards all these other different things, um, it becomes impossible to just look at the people you love and to actually see eye to eye with them and how that accidentally hurts people. Um, and, and it's like we want to make sure that there was no moral judgments in this film. Like no one is necessarily evil no one's doing anything wrong it's just the fact that we exist in this chaos is enough to hurt each other it's, it's enough to make cause any like, well-intentioned person to hurt each other and so the opening is also just filled with these microaggressions there's like tiny moments of of careless racism careless sexism careless ageism um, it's it's all in there um, and it's not because any of these people are bad people it's just because they don't have the time to fully uh, look at each other and say you're a human being with, with who contains multitudes yeah. and so then once we set that up the rest of the film is just kind of trying to dismantle that and be like and basically try to be try to show uh, the audience and also our main character how important it is to um to just take a moment and and look at someone and say i i can see you completely i can connect with you completely 
um, because maybe that's the only way we're going to survive the chaos is if we just allow ourselves that time every now and then. Um, so yeah, that, that intro, it, like one one of the references, I'd say there's two references for that for the intro. Um, Punch Drunk Love, yeah, because yeah. first time I saw Punch Drunk Love, I, I like hated it because I was so stressed out the whole time. I was like, why am I so anxious? Why do I, I don't know what's going on. This is, mm. is this bad screenwriting? I can't tell. I think you wrote it like to that score. Oh and yeah, we, yeah. The first I, cut was set to that score. Yeah, I listened to a lot of Punch Drunk Love while writing it. So there was, there was that energy. But then the other intro that I absolutely adore is a Home Alone movie. The Macaulay Culkin <laughs> yeah, Home Alone yeah, movie. Yeah, good intro. It has yeah. this incredible intro. If you rewatch it. it everything. Every joke, every, every, um, um, trap that eventually Macaulay Culkin sets for the villains is set up. Every toy, every it, like it's all there. Every character. Um, there's even this moment where you watch um, the they spill some milk and, and soda onto the plane ticket that would have been Macaulay Culkin's plane ticket, and he throws in the trash. It's like every little detail is is set up in this whirlwind of an intro. And I was like, can we do this with our movie? Um, I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> it's really silly. That's really interesting. And that observation that you said. You, that you that's very much at the heart of the movie is that something you had going in or did you did you need to find that as you kind of did you burrow into the script and sort of discover it and it unlocked the rest of it mostly the second yeah you know we, we usually <laughs> approach a project with a, a a question not a especially with this one we we had questions not answers when we started you know of just like um what do you do about the chaos and 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 what if nothing matters what's the point you know like uh and and just kind of like let's try to answer that as we go and and also like what do you do about the the generational divide we try we kind of figured out as we went you know what what we thought was a useful thing to say there and what dan said about like trying to not put morality in there in there was was something we did a bad job of at first you know and we we kind of I think wrote wrote early drafts that were kind of patronizing um, about uh, Evelyn, where she was just homophobic, and then we were like, "That's kind of uninteresting," because I don't, I, you know, I don't empathize with a homophobic woman. But but as soon as we introduced a grandfather and a daughter, and had her torn between two worlds, trying to please people and just just unable to fully see and appreciate and acknowledge people, but not being willfully, decisively, you know, mean to them. Then we were like, oh, I empathize with this. This is tough. And that's very human. This is a better script. But it like, yeah, we figured it out as we went. We weren't, you know, yeah. Well, it sounds like there were so many iterations of the script that maybe it's almost easier for me to ask about the things that remained, the the sort of like constant threads that were there from the beginning. So, was um so was it always going to be Evelyn and Joy their kind of mother daughter relationship their mother daughter struggle played out in this sort of fantastical sci fi way was that always going to be the crux of the movie? No, that was it. It was uh, definitely a later discovery. Um, actually, in fact, the first the first couple drafts was actually about a father and a daughter. Um, originally, really? yeah. Um, originally, it was going to be you know. Jackie Wasn't Chan the first and Michelle draft, Joy's not even the daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe Tabaki wasn't even the daughter. In, in yeah, the first, first draft, draft it was yeah. a daughter and like some evil per- girl. Yeah, it, yeah. It's so different. <laughs> so, what was the light bulb moment that made you realize I can connect these? Honestly, a lot of it comes down to just like the problem of of um, 
ambition versus efficiency with it's always a problem with any storytelling and we just realized there are too many characters and we're like this is this movie's already way too big oh wait what if the daughter is the villain and then that started opening up all these other um you know that's as a writer that's what you're always looking for you're always looking for decisions that suddenly just create a waterfall of other ideas um because you know whenever you have writer's block that usually is that's usually an indication that one of your decisions is, is kind of just the wrong one you know you, you've kind of hit a wall and decisions like that just opened up the story again we're like oh this is so much more exciting to create um instead of go, instead of doing a traditional good versus evil story it's actually just a mother daughter parent child relationship like yeah i'm just thinking of others other answers to the question you didn't ask. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that was different too. Uh, <laughs> which I, I do think we aspire to be get better at wasting less of our time and our producer's time, you know, but it uh, it does make me think that like we, we really appreciate feedback, um, but a lot of times we're our own worst critic and we'll get a note from someone and instead of taking the note, we try to look behind the note and a lot of times end up changing something else not what they told us to because we're like oh huh they think that doesn't work that means all this isn't working um and so that that happened a lot early on where we we would kind of we'd get a well-meaning note that was small and then be like now let's just rejigger the whole family um like i just remembered uh we had a morpheus kind of character that was separate from uh the husband uh and the wife uh, who came in and contacted her and it was such an aha moment to be like oh it should just be Waymond and Alpha Waymond mm-hmm. and we should have the pushover become the boss and that'll be such a fun dynamic to introduce into their marriage but like early on that was yet another character we were introducing and trying to juggle with everything that was just too much you know yeah so it, yeah the distillation process was really again us constantly trying to throw everything at the wall and then realizing oh we have to keep funneling it back to the family constantly funneling it back to um these three or four characters and um i think that a a lot of um yeah a lot of our rewrites were just refining that and bringing us closer to a version where um that family was big enough and strong enough and um and resonant enough that it could hold it it could survive um the rest of the film because the red you know i think early drafts really the family um was were really washed out by the by the sci-fi by the action by the 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 scale of it all and um until those two the smallest thing and the biggest thing could hold um could stand right next to each other like uh, until that happened we knew that the the script wasn't working how did you decide on the different iterations of Evelyn and were there other kind of multiverse things you know we, we obviously in the finished film we get the hot dog hands version of Evelyn we get the film star were there kind of other Evelyns that you almost had in the script totally and uh and there were just slight variations of those universes um yeah and- because usually it came from like a narrative moment or something we're like oh in this moment she needs to learn to fight because the the sci-fi action movie demands of it, right. demands um, that of us. But then in that moment, we would go like, okay, but this, this is an opportunity to reveal character as well. And so mm-hmm. th- it was very, it was like a, a dumb aha moment to be like, oh, the moment that she learns how to fight is also the moment in which she decides to not go to America. What a drastic 
um, massive existential uh, moment for our main character to have to experience both those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of stuff was really um, what we were chasing after. We were chasing after things that um, turn the sci-fi uh, power of being able to connect to other universes into also an Achilles heel, where you know it's a double blade, double-edged sword, where uh, the, the the power comes with some sort of uh, thorn as well. And that that to me, that to us was like really playful. So a lot of the universes kind of came out of like plot necessities, and then we would find out what the underlying um, existential or you know intellectual emotional experience our character would be going through because of that and we had a pretty big grab bag of just like genres we love and like kind of possible universes we could visit and we knew we wanted the movie to have a spread of like very slightly different universes all way all the way to like what is our most absurd one you know and and we didn't want all unrelatable gibberish but we also didn't want just like six universes where she's got slightly different careers, you know? Um, It's kind of like Groundhog's Day, you know, you don't want to just watch him learn different skills for an hour. Like, each one has to kind of, like, introduce a new existential life question and take things into a new kind of place. And so we kind of... it took a while, but it, like it became this kind of escalation of just like, okay, these are our priority ones, and they get in, they, each one introduces something useful and new to, that takes yeah. Evelyn on her that, it's, journey. It's reminding me of um, I love Groundhog Day. That's like one of my favorite movies ever. I've probably seen that more more times than any I think other it's movie. fine. So I'm yeah. the devil's advocate, yeah. you know? I'd be like, okay, we can't just like rip <laughs> yeah. it off. It's like, no, <laughs> I I love that movie, and what what's so brilliant about the film I, I realized later is the, the the writer actually decided to um, model the stages of that film and the progression of Bill Murray, Bill Murray's character after um, the steps of um, just um, oh my brain is blinking the this will be a good time for us to edit it out like this, the the stages of grief like Stage, denial yeah stages of grief that's what so so the great thing about that movie is the screenwriter modeled um, uh Bill Murray's progression after after the stages of grief. Um, yeah, there's there's the denial, um, there's the anger, there's the the the, the nihilism, just the, the the moment of just giving up, and then finally acceptance. Um, and so for this film, we kind of wanted to take this idea of the multiverse and slowly over the course of the film, decenter our main character, pulling her away, like basically going from. A hero's journey, like you're the hero, you're the best. Come with us. You are the, going to be one to save the world. And despite the fact that that's what the sci-fi film is saying, the actual film is saying, with every step, you are less important. You are you are nothing. You do not matter. You know, until finally at the end, like you're the worst there are, version of yourself. There are universes in which life doesn't even even exist. Like like not only do you not matter, humanity doesn't matter. Life doesn't matter. None of it matters. Like how can we pull you through all that and then? And then, you know, the, the last act of the film is us trying to um, convince ourselves as the, as the writers, but also convince our, our character and the audience that maybe despite all that, there is still something worth living for. And there's, there is still something that matters and something um, there is a way to thrive in this life despite all that. And that was kind of our, our, our challenge to ourselves. And so, yeah, there were a lot of universes. Sorry, your, your question about the universes that, that didn't make it in. A lot of it was just the selfish stuff that we were that we thought were funny that we ended up realizing didn't fit that um, narrative um, 
need of our character. Like one of the ones I was just thinking about was there's a lot of like throwaway universes in our movie and there's a sequence that I'm, I'm a little bummed we never got to put in there, but there's a sequence in which a, a, a villain throws a grenade at her. She jumps to a universe in which she's a dog and she jumps up and catches it like it's a frisbee. And then midair, as she's falling, she jumps to a universe in which she's a gymnast. And then she does a split and catches herself just as she's about to um, maybe go down an elevator shaft yeah, or out elevator an shaft. open window. She does a split and catch herself. But then in that moment, she dislocates her leg and, and she, she goes, screams ah! in pain. But and then she jumps and she's a chiropractor and she pops her leg back in and then she falls and is about to fall and hurt herself. And, she, and the grenade's about to go off. And the grenade's about to go off. So she she jumps and becomes a baseball pitcher and she throws the grenade <laughs> out of the way. And, really fast and, and far. And then the last jump is she jumps to become a, a skateboarder who skateboarders are really good at falling. And so she tumbles perfectly just as the explosion happens behind her. And it's like really badass. But this happens within like, uh, like you know, 10 seconds. She jumps like 20 different places or no, 10 different places in 10 seconds. And it becomes like this really like th- that would have been the moment where you realize, oh, she is fully... Um, the one or whatever. Mm-hmm. We ended up not using it, but it's okay. <laughs> you mentioned nihilism there. What did the everything bagel represent to you guys? And when did that enter the mix? Mm-hmm. Nihilism and just how uh, those bagels scare me. <laughs> like, like the idea is everything on this, that's not good. I don't, you know? It was always, yeah, there, there's this. Um, I came across this really interesting term. It's called a Schwarzschild, Schwarzschild radius. Um, are you familiar with this? It's the radius um, in which any given object's mass will, can be condensed to become a black hole. So everything has a Schwarzschild radius where like, I could squeeze my phone and basically the ratio between uh, the volume and the mass, if I squeeze it down just enough, there's a ratio in which uh, it will become a black hole. And so there was a moment where Jobu Tupaki would just love this and she would just be constantly turning things into black holes. Um, and it was like very, it's like her just screwing around. And one of the things was a, a, a everything bagel. And that was just kind of like a throwaway joke. It's like, oh yeah, that's my everything bagel. I put everything on it. Oops. And like, it was just and like, like, she had followers who worshiped the everything bagel. And we just thought it was a funny religion, you know, joke. Uh, um, and then, Meanwhile, we wrote all these drafts and knew that she was reckoning with these dark nihilistic thoughts and we were struggling to write dialogue that we liked, you know, about nihilism because we didn't want to just have like her, uh, I don't know, we, we didn't want the audience to just roll their eyes and and never feel it. And, and a lot of times uh, what works on me and so I put it in my movies is like a joke, like if if it's packaged as a joke, then I can understand what you're saying without like rolling my eyes at your pretentiousness, you know? Like I can't quite invest in some screenplays that are just dead serious. Uh, and so then when we're wrestling with that, we salvaged the everything bagel and we were like, oh, now we have a joke and we have an image that can just serve this kind of philosophical plot point and we don't have to constantly say what Jobu means and what the bagel means, it can just, we can introduce it, say it once, and now we have a a, a, a joke image, you know, because um, also as screenwriters and filmmakers, like we're always trying to come up with ways that the story can visually be told, not just through, you know, dialogue. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is nice. And then once we were in the edit, we were like so sick of the everything bagel. It was so challenging the most obnoxious visual effects challenge and we were just like oh why did we do this but it it paid off it was just hard 
And ultimately, Evelyn, she kind of concludes that the only way to overcome or find any kind of harmony, you know, within the gravita- gravitational pull of the everything bagel is is empathy. And uh, there's, 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 first of all, that incredible scene that we touched on at the beginning with the rocks. And then there's this astonishing fight scene in which she kind of, she locates the pain beneath the anger of each of the antagonists coming towards her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's an incredible moment. And I was wondering... I was wondering how you kind of came to that idea and how you found a way of knitting in Evelyn's evolving relationship with Waymond. Like he feels like an important part of her learning that empathy is the way forward. Yeah. I mean, he's the key, which is why we cast him because that's his name. His name is Key. Yeah, he is the key. (laughs) Key is the key. Oh man, there's so many answers to this question and I'm so sorry because we just love to talk and there's two of us. So (laughs) So get ready. 30 minute Um, answer. Here we come. one, One of the things that happened early on um one of the conversations we had early on was the fact that we love action movies we, you know we love the matrix we love kill bill we love you know all these films were really formative but at the same time the the contradiction is underneath it all is that we don't really believe in violence and we don't actually think we need more of that right now you know I, I, there's nothing wrong with action movies it's just i feel like uh, we don't need to be adding there might to, be yeah but i, I mean, mean I, don't, I don't think we need to be adding to that because like the, that that has a very strong uh <laughs> yeah there, there are a lot of uh, marketing uh, incentives as, as to why those are so prevalent everywhere and so we were like we were always kind of yeah. struggling with that which we've been struggling even before this movie we've always been like oh man we love fight scenes but also like don't really think violence is the answer. And, uh, and so we were kind of always wondering how, what, how would we thread that needle? Like this might be our one and only Kung Fu movie. Like, like what do we do? What kind of uh, finale that's satisfying can you have if the answer isn't violence? <laughs> um, and so it became like a really big aha moment when we kind of realized that you could use the multiverse uh, to lose all faith, but also use the multiverse to do this impossible thing, which is like to fully understand to someone. find each person's yeah. pain. Like, oh, if I can tap into an infinite number of universes, I can figure out what will fix you. Uh, yeah. What an interesting power. And it's like so stupid and and like it could it, it it's like bordering on cheesy, which mm-hmm. which is why it was so thrilling for us. It's like, can we pull this off? Can we make someone um, empathizing with with the enemy, just as satisfying as you know um, the bride stabbing someone with with a katana. Can we make it just as fun using all the genre um, language and filmmaking techniques that can hit that dopamine hit? You know that usually you get when John Wick gets you know five headshots or whatever. Can we do that? But instead of destruction, it's about creation and connection. Um, and now we're realizing like. It was so fun. It was so satisfying for us to, to do that. And now and really satisfying that it seems to work yeah. too. But now we're wondering, it's like, is this a new genre? Should we be f- trying to push this out in the world? Should we be creating um, things that, because like now that we, now that we've, I feel like we've perfected action movies, you know, like uh, just as an industry, there's so many amazing action films. They're, they're so satisfying to watch. They're so fun um, and creative. Um, but now we need to be kind of moving the message in a different direction, using just borrowing all the techniques that we've learned, all the all the like secrets that we have figured out, and try to find a, a different way to um, tell the same story in a more healing way. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why we want to do a Mortal Kombat sequel. Let's go with, with yes. friendships instead of fatalities, <laughs> yeah. and so they're they're just uh, you know becoming friends and stuff. 
I know you're joking, man, but like, it, it is kind of an interesting point. Like what it means for you guys, given that like, this is a film about intergenerational love. It's an action movie that sort of arrives at a conclusion of like empathy is a much bigger weapon, a much better tool in kind of overcoming uh, the sort of problems in the world. You know, with the success of a film like this, presumably like it opens doors for you. I've seen about a thousand tweets all saying like, give the Daniels the keys to the MCU and uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, how do you reconcile uh, what you've just described and sort of like your hopes for moving moving action forward and moving filmmaking forward with a different message with, you know, perhaps your interest in doing some franchise filmmaking, your movies till now have kind of had a commitment to sort of telling original stories have you started to think about what like your next steps are and how you'll navigate all Ooh. that sort of stuff? We're always thinking about it. We, <laughs> yeah, we spent we, too much time on this question. We, f- we finished this movie last July and then we sat down with our manager and our producer uh, and we were like, we're going to talk about all our like half-baked movie ideas to try to pick one. Um, and so we made an Excel document that just kept growing because we'd be like, oh, right, there was that one. And it's literally like 12 movies and eight TV shows, and we can't decide if, which one we want to do or if we want to combine them all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> And that doesn't even include um, this like insane opportunity that we now have to like um, to work on a big canvas and to speak to a huge audience that would come with like studio filmmaking and 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 to and that has always kind of scared us because we're not sure if we'd be good at it. Um, but also if it, yeah, if we could say the sort of things we want to say, or we're constantly kind of like philosophically wondering, like, what's the point of filmmaking? What is our point? What are are we trying to do here? You know? (laughs) Yeah. I think we we spend a lot of time thinking about memetics. Um, like that's the lens I look at the world and the way information moves around. Um, It's like the study of ideas and and how they spread similarly to the way genes spread, you know? It's about the survival of the fittest and, and the way, you know, in, in genes, you talk about genetic hitchhiking and, and, and like a lot, a lot of these terms that we use to describe the natural biological world, we could actually apply to ideas and culture. And so when we talk about franchises, it, it's, it's not something we immediately want to do, but the mimetic power that comes with that is actually really interesting to us and to imagine, okay, if one day we were to do a Marvel movie, what would we do with that opportunity? You know, Marvel has the biggest built-in audience of human history. Um, like no one else has ever created what Marvel has created. And that is like really, um, you know, it, it's applaud worthy. Like it's, 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 it's very uh, special that's having that platform. And, you know, to us, we're like, oh, if, you know, Kevin Feige asked us to do a Marvel movie tomorrow, we'd be like, yes, we'll do it. But I want to invite, you know, 10 of the smartest uh thinkers, philosophers, scientists, economists, unapologetic politicians yeah, into the writers. <laughs> like, room how do we and, fix and the like, world? What? Yeah. And I want to ask each of them, like, what is the big idea that the world needs to know right now? Because we can feed it into a Marvel movie and make it as oh, fun as possible. We might possible. piss off some fans, but yeah. they'll learn something. They're going to learn something. <laughs> and then we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to be having the right conversations, even if we are fighting and, and having a lot of like, um, like a really complicated dialogue at least they'll be the right or they'll be closer to the right kind of dialogue and so like that's that's how our brain works we're very machiavellian we're very we're like chess strategists like this movie so we think we're just yeah. going to make our movie the way we want to make it next. yeah yeah so yeah. we're probably not, sure we're probably not going to do a franchise thing that's but, just not how um something that huge works you know? right exactly yeah until one day i don't know I, I feel like one of the cool things about our career so far is 
uh, we have been uncompromising for the most part. Obviously, we do some things here and there that, like, you know, we do commercials and stuff like that. But for the most part, uncompromising in our vision. And the world just keeps slowly bending to us, which is a very rare thing. And I, I, we don't take that lightly. And we just hope that as we continue our careers, we get bigger opportunities to create narratives that, you know, um, normally don't get to be made. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our that's our main rule to ourselves is... is um, if someone else can do this, then why are we doing it? You know, we have to be making something that no one else can make um, because I, I do think that's the kind of thing that will um, slowly um, shift the idea of what a movie can be. Should to, I pitch the porn I want to make or is that going to be under a pseudonym? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably want to make porn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are just, scenes in this bordering on porn. Yeah, bordering, yeah, exactly. but I, yeah. you know, I feel like it's just this huge media that so many people watch and it's not ethically made and it's, there's not much like, you know, like, what if you made ethical stuff? It's all about consent, good communication, kink positivity. But just as good as that, like, just, really yeah, raw still, stuff. Like, same as empathy fighting. You know, it's like, it's like there's too I, many action movies when you make empathy fighting. It's like maybe there's, educational there's too porn. Much, yeah, there's too much problematic <laughs> porn that just really hits <laughs> the... One idea of how to change the world, you know? It hits the animal, like, Screenwriters button. out there, yeah, yeah. fix that industry. The screenwriting's <laughs> not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, that seems a good place to end this conversation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, but seriously, guys, whatever you do next, whether it is, yeah, I don't know, a Marvel thing, Spider-Man would look great with hot dog fingers. That's I mean, un- yeah. Un- uh, some, but someone else can do that, you know? Yeah. And now, now that it's out there, I, <laughs> yeah. feel, I feel confident someone else can do that. And I'm, I'm very happy for, for them. Happy to, yeah, alley-oop. Is that the word? Alley-oop, yeah. Will you pass it to the other guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm good at sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is, guys. Yeah, I really look forward to it. Thank you so Thank much you. for this great film and for this awesome conversation. It's Thank been great so doing this IRL as well. First time. Yeah, our, our pleasure. Hopefully hearing all those uh, bad ideas that didn't make the cut make it seem not so hard. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you, can, you too can make a movie. If, as long as you have enough time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Thank guys. You. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. You've been listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demek. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.